This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to Untangled, a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast following Heidi, who is Swiss, and Henry, a Brit. We explore the UK-Swiss cross-border issues faced by this international couple in connection with their family lives and their assets and businesses. But before they're happily ever after, there's a lot they need to think about, and we will stay with them in good times and in bad. I'm Alice Martin, a lawyer in our Zurich office, and today I'm joined by Michael Wells Greco, a partner based between our Geneva and London offices, specialising in cross-border family matters. We're going to talk about Heidi and Henry, who are getting married. Heidi is Swiss, Henry is British, they are living in Switzerland, and both of them come from quite wealthy families. In both families, there are some complex assets, family and businesses, trusts and structures. They're going to get married, which is great news, but both sets of parents have said they would like Heidi and Henry to have a prenuptial agreement. So I will begin by saying thank you for joining me, Michael. And why should Heidi and Henry consider a prenuptial agreement? Thanks, Alice. I mean, an exciting time for uh, Henry and Heidi. You mentioned that their parents are quite keen for them having um, a prenuptial agreement. Um, let's see if Henry and Heidi think it's a good idea as well, because we're talking about um, their marriage. But it's not uncommon for parents or grandparents to actually introduce the topic. Because I've understood correctly, Heidi and Henry come from different countries. We've got Henry, who's uh, British, and Heidi is Switzerland. And you asked me whether they should consider having a prenuptial agreement. Prenuptial agreements are, are somewhat different beasts to marriage contracts that we have in Switzerland. But the general objective, whether you call it a marriage contract, um, a marital agreement or a prenuptial agreement, is to try and identify and ring fence certain assets, um, um, uh, particularly inheritance that may have already been received or anticipated inheritance, um, in order to avoid any discretion that a judge in a divorce context might have with respect to the separation of assets. In some countries, but certainly not here in Switzerland, there may be another objective to limit spousal maintenance that a paying party might pay. Um, But that's not something that we would permit under Swiss law. In some English form prenuptial agreements, that may be an objective. So the bottom line is, um, whether it's a marriage contract or a prenuptial agreement, uh, the, the, the aim is to provide certainty and security for Heidi and Henry in the event that the marriage were to break down. Well, it sounds like it's probably a good idea for them. Um, they might ask me, are these legally binding? This is where we um, have to be country specific. Um, and the short answer from an English perspective is that under English law today, um, a prenuptial agreements are not legally binding. Oh. And that's the same whether Henry and Heidi enter into a Swiss form marriage contract. So prenuptial agreements and marriage contracts are not binding um, before the English court. The English court um, retains discretion to do what is fair in the event of a divorce um, in England and Wales. Um, But provided certain conditions are met, and I often refer them to as um, qualifying conditions, an English prenuptial agreement or a Swiss marriage contract could be very, very persuasive before the English court. Is there anything that helps to make it more persuasive? Well, yes. So the conditions that um, I'm thinking about here is um, that neither party 
um, should be under any duress um, into, into entering the prenuptial agreement, um, so they must enter into it freely. The uh, agreement should um, be signed at least 28 days before the wedding. Full financial disclosure um, of each party's assets should be made, and each party should have the opportunity to take independent legal advice. The overriding condition of all of this is the agreement must be fair in practice in the circumstances of the particular couple. Now, these qualifying conditions are certainly not the same in all countries. Uh, and I probably should have started by saying there's no law that joins up um, um, marital agreements between, between countries. So it's often a surprise uh, for couples who um, um, unfortunately uh, find themselves divorcing in England that their foreign marital contract uh, may not be binding on the English court. So depending on where they might end up long term, we know they're living in Switzerland now, it's a really good idea to take advice from both jurisdictions because we don't know where this might be called into question later down the line. Yes, it would certainly be prudent to do so. Um, uh, maybe just to contrast the position under Swiss law, from a Swiss perspective, marriage contracts um, are binding. A marriage contract um, enables the spouses well, before the marriage um, or indeed after the marriage, to make an election for a particular matrimonial property regime. Henry might not know what we mean by a matrimonial property regime. Sorry to ask, but um, can you explain what it is? Yeah, and um, there are many European countries that operate marital property regimes. Switzerland is one of them. They share a number of key features. One is that the, these are systems designed for the division of property, not only in the context of a divorce, but also in the context of death and or bankruptcy. So the division of the marital assets would depend upon um, the particular regime that the couple is subject to. Another important sort of point of distinction is that these, these property regimes um, do not deal with any aspect of maintenance or alimony. Um, and um, as I mentioned earlier, um, it, the couple could uh, elect pre or following a marriage into a particular regime. So these regimes are, are mutable um, throughout their lives. So you can change from one to the other. So they can have a conversation before they get married about which regime is right for them, which would determine where assets pass if they, if one of them dies, or if they get divorced, or if one of them faces bankruptcy. Yeah, and I think it's really important to take those three sort of life life scenarios um, in understanding the importance of making a particular election. It may well be, given their business um, um, affairs, that instinctively they may wish to elect for a particular regime, perhaps separation of property, to keep business assets completely separate, um, so that any common assets later in life would not be subject to creditor attack. Um, I probably should add from a Swiss perspective that there are three um, uh, regimes. There's a default regime known as deferred community of property. Um, it's a default regime because for Swiss public policy, it was considered to be um, the regime that was fairer. Mm -hmm. I say fairer because in that regime, premarital assets um, are kept strictly separate. Inheritance is treated as separate property, but assets that are built up during the course of the marriage are divided 50-50 in the event of um, a divorce. The two other regimes, separation of property, um, uh, keeps all assets separate during the marriage. Um, and then there's third regime, one of full community of assets where all assets are, are, are potentially open for, for sharing. Well, these are obviously concepts that Heidi might have heard of before, but it sounds like Henry, as the one who's moving to Switzerland, might need a bit of time to talk these through. And Henry, of course, may need to learn how to say all of this in French, German or Italian. <laughs> 
over a fondue. One of the thoughts that occurs to me is, is there like an international prenup which can accommodate the Swiss and the British rules? Um, it's entirely possible to draft um, and craft one agreement that seeks to satisfy the qualifying conditions, say, of an English prenup, um, as well as the conditions and requirements of a, a Swiss marriage contract. It is, however, far more commonplace and certainly a um, something which I would want to explore with Henry and Heidi to see what they would be more comfortable with, more commonplace to drop one agreement in the country where not only they're living, but certainly intending to live mm. in the early stages of their, their marriage, and make sure that agreement does exactly what they want it to do, and then seek to mirror that agreement in, say, England, um, um, on the basis that there is a uh, 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 it, it's possible that they would be moving to England um, um, going forward or that there are assets in England which um, should be carved out. Um, so certainly a sort of a mirroring approach is something that I would be exploring with them, regrettably because the law does not join up internationally um, as it relates to uh, substantive family law matters. It's more likely that two agreements would be needed. What if their circumstances change? So now they're a young couple, they don't have any kids. Would it be different or can they change things if they have children later on? So the agreement itself could uh, provide for a review clause in the event of um, a move to another jurisdiction or in the event of children being born or after X number of years of, of marriage. I'd want to discuss with um, Henry um, and or Heidi exactly what their intentions are. Review clauses of themselves sound like a good idea, um, uh, save that it may force a discussion <laughs> on a point at a stage of one's life when it's not required to do so. Frankly, when you've just had kids, you don't want to have an extra thing to deal with. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's absolutely right. But if I ref think about the, the perspective under Swiss law, in the absence of any review clause, um, Heidi and Henry would be able to change the matrimonial regime if they wanted to do so at any stage following their marriage. And I'll give you an example where it might be more common to do so. Um, let's fast forward 60 years and Henry and Heidi have had the best life that the world could offer them. Um, and they may decide to elect for community of property, you know, post-retirement. Post and they may want to do so in order to maximise um, on the liquidation of the matrimonial property regime on death, maximise the share that would automatically pass to the surviving spouse before we even get to the law of succession. This sounds really sensible, but it's not very romantic. I can see that it can be a bit of a difficult thing for them to talk about. Have you got any suggestions about how Heidi and Henry can broach this topic? Yeah, and, I, and possibly um, it's where you started from, um, Alice, by, by saying that Henry and Heidi's parents um, are quite keen for them to enter into a marriage contract or a prenuptial agreement. I often say to, to clients, show that the, the agreement itself is not meant to be personal, that it's very, very commonplace that um, siblings or cousins or other family members um, have gone through the same steps. It's part of what um, the, the family believes to be an important wealth planning tool and mm. something that perhaps Henry and Heidi would want their children in due course to consider. I suppose the second thing as well, where you have an international couple as, as, as they are, um, familiarising themselves with what is a matrimonial property regime and that the objective behind it goes further than a divorce-type scenario, reflecting thereon the fact that the regime would be liquidated in other circumstances, death or a bankruptcy-type scenario. And, and lastly, I, I find that uh, it's always 
advisable to be straightforward and clear mm. as to what exactly the individual wishes and objectives are and start the conversation sooner in good time before the wedding planning really gets under un, underway in my experience tends to lead to the agreement being done signed and put in a drawer um, uh, and forgotten about um, until such time there is a need to to reconsider them. Thank you. That's really helpful. I'm looking forward to going back and talking to Heidi and Henry about all of this. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to this podcast, part of our series Untangling the UK-Swiss Cross-Border Issues Faced by Heidi and Henry. You can find the rest of this series at the Charles Russell Speechley's website or on Podbean, iTunes and Spotify. Here we have discussed the UK and Swiss legal issues at high level only, based on current law and legal practice. This does not contain legal advice. If you or your clients would like to know more about any of the things we've discussed, please get in touch with your Charles Russell Speechley's contact or email us at untangled at crsblaw.com. Thank you. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. 